Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. I hope you've already signed in and registered your attendance. We always like to know who's with us. And the primary reason we do that, friends, is so that we can maintain and keep relationships with you. We always want to know who's with us, but we also want to keep in touch with you. And so if you will allow us that privilege, we would sure appreciate that. So whether you use those QR codes there in the chairs or uh, the, the, the kiosks outside, we'd sure love to know who you are. And if you're worshiping with us online, we're always grateful and certainly hope that you'll sign in online as well. Well, friends, I hope you've enjoyed Jonah. We've been having fun with Jonah and excited about the message that Jonah offers us and how it is that we can learn from this prophet. He is a prophet unlike any other, and my hope is that you've not only been learning and growing from his message, but having a good time with it because he really is a lot of fun. We've learned that we cannot escape God's presence or purpose or passion. We've learned that God's grace is among us and sort of uh, swallowing us, and we're going to focus on that this morning, the gift of God's grace and how God's grace really just envelops us uh, each and every day, and that that gift is available for everybody, not just for us but for all of God's creation. And as I was reflecting on the message for this morning, I, I kind of reflected on an incident that happened to, uh, with me, but really to all of us a few years ago here in the DFW Metroplex. You may remember uh, in September of 2018, there was an off-duty officer who killed a man in his own home in downtown Dallas. Botham Jean had been killed by an off-duty off officer named Amber Geiger. You, Geiger, you remember that name or those names? And you remember this incident. It was a, an atrocious crime that, uh, whether purposeful or by accident, was just a horrible tragedy, and it was um, a, a deep pain to the community, right, as we went through this. And I reflected on that and, and kind of the, the information we got and the understandings that we received throughout that. And then when it came time for the, um, the jury to determine sentencing, a fascinating thing happened. You may recall uh, this particular thing happened. Brant Jean, Botham's brother, literally in the presence of everyone in the court, uh, forgave Amber Geiger and embraced her, as you see in the picture. And if you were like me, uh, you had all kinds of reaction to that. I remember thinking, yes, go, Brant. That's what Christianity is. Both, both them and, and uh, Brant are Christians, and, and they profess faith in Christ. And so I thought to myself, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we're supposed to offer God's grace and demonstrate God's mercy and forgiveness, and, and this is the way we ought to do that. At the same time, I thought to myself, didn't speak it out loud, but I thought to myself, wow, she doesn't deserve that. She's done nothing to deserve that, and he shouldn't be doing that, and that shouldn't happen. And I, I found myself at a confluence, right, of yes and no, way to go and no way. And it, you may have had the same experience, I don't know, but I know for a fact that's what was going in my heart and in my head. And as I reflected on the message this week, I reminded myself, that's Jonah. Jonah the prophet had this same kind of inner turmoil, this churning of his thoughts and his feelings and his emotions about what is right and how it is we're supposed to live into this faith and how it is we're supposed to demonstrate this mercy and grace that God offers to us. And I'm reminded that we are Jonah and that he is us and that we need his message to permeate our lives and our understanding. It's why he is a prophet in the midst of all of the other minor prophets. 
So you may recall the story, of course, that uh, he is told to go to uh, Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He goes off to Tarshish. He finds himself in a boat. He, he go, gets thrown off the boat. He gets into a fish. Uh, he uh, has all kinds of prayer to God. He has this connection and this revelation, and then God forgives the Ninevites because they repent and they turn, and God wants to love them. And in fact, the very last verse of chapter 3 says, God changed God's mind about what God was going to do to the Ninevites. They deserve punishment. They deserve condemnation. They were, after all, a part of the, the region that was going to overthrow the Israelites and, and put them out into bondage yet again. And they didn't deserve any of God's love. But God, because they repented, chose to demonstrate love to them. And that's where we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 4. And it's a fascinating tale of how Jonah reminds us that we often get conflicted about God's mercy and God's grace. Listen for the story. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, the fact that God had changed God's mind. This displeased Jonah. In fact, the Hebrew would say that it displeased him so much he was displeased again. That's how displeased he was. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is, this, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What? It's better for him to die than to live because God is gracious and merciful? It's better for him to die than to live because God is slow to anger and, and Jonah knew that already? What? That makes no sense whatsoever, but it is Jonah. And us, if we're honest, about the ways in which God's grace is implemented on other people's lives. Notice God's response. It's one of my favorites, verse 4. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat down under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. So rather than respond to God's question, is it right for you to be angry? He folds his arms and he sits down in his own little pity party and watches the town to see what will happen. And isn't that metaphorically or perhaps literally what we all do when people receive something we don't believe they deserve? <laughs> because they don't deserve it, by golly. They didn't do anything to justify it. They can't merit it. It's nothing that they should have, but they have received God's grace because God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it ticks Jonah off. And if we're honest, no show of hands. It kind of upsets us too, doesn't it? When people that we know don't deserve God's grace get it. We're so very much like Jonah. So notice what happens in verse 6. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah, so to give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about this bush. 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared, I love this, a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Sounds like Jonah's a bit of a wimp, wouldn't you say? Sounds like Jonah doesn't really understand the ways in which God works. It sounds as though Jonah feels as though he deserves this bush. It feels as though Jonah thinks that he deserves what it is that comes his way, no matter how it comes, but by golly, he deserves it. Nobody else does, and certainly those Ninevites don't, but he deserves God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and the slowness of God's anger and the wisdom of God's love, but not those Ninevites. They don't deserve it at all, do they? Whimper, whimper. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right that you should be angry about the bush? Don't you hate it when God knows what gets at us? Don't you hate it when God speaks back to us in our conversations we sometimes call prayer with God? And so Jonah's response is, yes, and angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came up in the being of the night and perished in the night. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I have concern for such a great city, says God? Shouldn't God have a concern for such a large city? Shouldn't God have concern for people who are living in spiritual darkness? Shouldn't God have concern for all of God's creation, both human and animal? It is, after all, God's prerogative to be merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And yet, this is what ticks Jonah off. He's ticked off because God is gracious, because God is loving and kind, because God wants all people, not the least of which are these horrible Ninevites who clearly don't deserve it. And I can't help but wonder if Jonah is much like the older brother in that parable we read about in Luke chapter 15, right? The younger brother takes his inheritance and goes and squanders it all off on resolute and dissolute living, right? And then finally he realizes he's made an error and he comes back to dad and kind of goes, hey, dad, I kind of like to be back in your good graces. And if I were the dad, you've been doing what, boy? Where you been? What you been doing? How you been spending that money? but not the gracious father. The gracious father not only opens his arms, but he runs out to the son, and he welcomes him and embraces him and gives him all of his inheritance and all of the authority of the father. And the big brother who's working hard in the field, who's taking care of daddy's business, and who has always done right. You've done what? You're giving him a party? 
I've been slaving all of my days and taking care of all of your work, but you're going to give him a party when he's given, given away all of that money? You remember the last couple of verses of Luke chapter 15, it just says, the daddy says, son, son, you've always been with me and mine is always yours. We had to have a party because this brother of yours, notice the language, this brother of yours, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. We've got to celebrate. But the big brother and Jonah and me and you, we get angry because, by golly, they don't deserve this stuff. They don't deserve that love. They don't deserve that mercy. They don't deserve that forgiveness. I don't, I don't mean to break anybody's bubble, but neither do I and neither do you. None of us does. None of us deserves God's grace. And yet, just like Jonah, we find ourselves getting upset. We find ourselves getting out of sorts. We find ourselves thinking and blaming and calling names and, and talking about and, and how dare they and I can't believe and why did this happen and how does this work and my golly, I'm going to get myself all wound up in a tight wad because they don't deserve this grace. I do, mind you. I mean, I'm a pretty good kid, but not them, right? And this might make sense if, if we realize that this was a one-off. Maybe, maybe God just got it wrong with the Ninevites. Maybe, maybe God didn't fully understand how bad they were. Maybe God didn't really recognize how horrible and atrocious these Ninevites were. But that's not the case. This is not a one-off of our God. This is not a one-time occurrence of God being merciful and gracious and kind and just-filled. This is the way of our God. This is the character and nature of our God. This is the way our God works over and over and over again. It goes all the way back to Moses. We go back to the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The book of Exodus, when, when uh, Moses is trying to get the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. He comes down off the mountain to renew the covenant with the Israelites, and he literally just says, this Lord, the God that we follow, this God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because the Israelites needed to hear that. They needed to know that. They were about to move into a whole new territory and a whole new way of being. And they needed to hear that, just like you and I need to hear that. But they weren't done hearing it because they needed to hear it again. So near Moses' death, and as they are almost ready to cross over, uh, Moses has sent the, the, the spies across, and 12 of them go look out and spy the land, and 10 of them come back and say, there's no way, we can't make it. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and said, you know what, they're big, they're bad, they're bold, it's going to be tough, but God said we could do this, so we're going to make it over the hill. And Moses again said in Numbers chapter 14, look, this God that we followed, this God that told us could be true, this God is slow to anger. And this God is abounding in steadfast love because we need to know that in order to get over there. This God will help us because this God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's not the last time because this is the nature and character of the God that we serve, the God of our forefathers and mothers, the God of our ancestors, the God of our Savior, Jesus. Remember King David, good king. Man, he united the two 
kingdoms and uh, he brought them together and he was a mighty king and, and, and uh, people were looking for his ancestor uh, to come, right, his, his uh, fellow progenitors. And, but David was also the one who, um, you know, had Uriah killed and had an affair with Bathsheba and, and had turmoil in his own family among his own boys and, and he had a hard time. And so often David would write a psalm or two in order to kind of calm his heart and renew his faith and, and help claim this commitment that God has to him and for him. And uh, one of those psalms was Psalm 86. And, and David says to remind himself and to remind those who will read the psalm that you, Lord, you are a God. You are a God who is merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness because he knew. He would write one of the last psalms, Psalm 145, and in that psalm, likewise, David would say, and just to change it up, just to mix it up, just to make sure we understood that you are a God who is gracious and merciful, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, because we need to know this, God, because we don't always believe it. We don't always believe it for ourselves, but we clearly don't believe it for other people. But this God, this God is amazing. And this God that claims our hearts, that offers us salvation, that would renew the Israelites and help claim a new generation for God's mercy and justice and grace and forgiveness. Jonah the prophet would tell us this, but so would Joel the prophet. As Joel was trying to reclaim the Israelites, as all the prophets do, to try to bring them back into faithfulness and bring them back into the way they ought to live, in Joel chapter 2, he just says, return to the Lord your God, because the Lord your God is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Wow. This is not a one-off occurrence to Jonah. It's not a one-off thing to the Ninevites but rather this is the nature of our God. And this is good news for all of creation, not just those of us who claim faith, but a God who is steadfast and yearning for a relationship with all of creation. We need to hear this. Jonah needed to hear this. And yet he was mad as all get out, so mad that he wanted to die, so mad that he wanted to die twice, so mad. Because God was, was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He wanted to run away from this kind of God. He wanted to run away from the presence of God and the purposes of God and the passion of God. So much so that he would turn away and fall, fall flight to Tarshish and find himself in the, the belly of a, 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 the bow of a boat and to get caught up in the storm of a sea and the, in the belly of a fish. He wanted to run. And now he wants to run so much he wants to die. Now, I know most of us would not really think in those terms. I'm so mad I want to die. But I bet most of us have been so mad we'd want to spit. And more often than we'd like to claim, that anger is about somebody who doesn't deserve it. Somebody who doesn't deserve God's grace. Somebody who doesn't deserve God's forgiveness. Somebody who doesn't receive that. And that's what angers Jonah. And this is why I love the prophet Jonah. He is unlike any other of the 12 prophets, the minor prophets. He's like any of the other big boys as well, right? Because all of them point fingers and tell us how bad we are and tell us how we need to get our lives right and straight and good. But not Jonah. Jonah says, I'm messed up. 
I'm messed up and you need to learn from my messing up. You need to learn from how I've got this all wrong. And he gets angry, right? And Jonah is angry because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah is angry because this grace, this mercy, uh, this slow to anger is for everybody, not just me, not just you. It's, it's for anybody who might desire it and might want it. That's who this is for. Jonah is angry because this grace of God that we're learning about is unlike any of our human endeavors with regard to merit or reward systems. Jonah finds himself angry because he believes God is simply too soft on the sinners in Nineveh. It is a kind of swallowing grace. This God who swallows up uh, us up in grace and this God who can swallow not only us but other people in this grace, and it angers him to no end. And it's why we need to hear from this prophet because every prophet speaks forth on behalf of God, and Jonah is speaking forth on behalf of God. And his prophetic message to you and to me is really quite simple. We don't want to hear it, mind you, just like every other prophet's word. We don't want to hear it because it's not what we agree with. It's not what we fix ourselves on. It's not how we think things ought to go. But it is of God. His prophetic message is quite simply that this grace, this mercy, this steadfast love is available for everybody, not just you Hebrews, not just you Christians. It's available for anybody who may want it. The prophetic message that we need to hear from Jonah is that all God yearns for, all God desires for us to turn from whatever this evil way is like the Ninevehs did, to turn from that and to go in a new direction, to acknowledge that we actually need this God, that we need this grace, that we need this mercy. That's all God's looking for, just an acknowledgement that this is real and true. The prophetic message that Jonah speaks to us is that this grace of which we speak a lot this grace is more than we could ever think or imagine or dream. We, we got clear understandings of it. We got uh, kind of partial ways of understanding it. But man, God's grace, God's grace is far greater than we can ever think or imagine. And therefore, it can reach people that we don't think deserve it. And therefore, it can reach in ways that we never thought it could. This is how God works. And so we need to take up the challenge that Jonah's issuing to us. Man, if, if we see somebody or know somebody or encounter somebody who, who is basking in the gift of God's grace, who has finally understood that that grace is for them and that they are not too shamed or not too unworthy or, or not too out of bounds, but that God wants to love them and God actually does love them because our God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Don't get angry. Don't get ticked off. Celebrate. Celebrate the gift that what swallowed you once when you were a child or a youth or a, an adult, 
Celebrate that somebody else has received that grace. Celebrate that somebody else is being swallowed by God's love. Celebrate that God has offered the possibility that somebody else could encounter this gift. Because that's what it is. It's a gift. And nobody deserves it. Not me. Not you. Nobody. But God's grace is such that it comes and that it envelops us and consumes us and offers us hope beyond reproach. And the gift that we need to offer to the world is to recognize that this can be real for anybody. Don't say that too loud because somebody might know, but rather offer it to them. You see, here's what I believe. I believe everybody in this room at some point in our lives, whether a child or a youth or last week, every one of us has been swallowed by God's grace. Every one of us has a story of how God picked us up and gave us love when we didn't deserve it. Every one of us has a story about the ways in which God had impact in our lives in such a way that we knew we didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us anyway. Guess what? That's still available for somebody you know. So if you've been swallowed by grace, let's encourage somebody else to get swallowed by grace. Because here's what I know, and here's what you know. This God we profess faith in, this God who birthed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this God who called all of the prophets, not the least of whom this day is Jonah, this God, is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. And abounding. Abounding. In steadfast love. That is God's gift for you and for anybody. I'm grateful. Grateful. That I know that God. And that we together can share that God. Thanks be to God for the God of Jonah and the God of Jesus and the God of your life. Because that God makes mercy and grace and steadfast love real. Let's pray. God, what a gift it is to know that though we don't deserve it, you love us. That though we haven't merited it, you offer us grace. And that though we've done nothing to deserve it, 
you welcome us into faith and life and mercy and grace. God, help us to not only receive that for ourselves, but to discover the profound lesson of Jonah, that this grace and mercy and slow to anger and steadfast love is for all of your creation, not just a few, not just a select, not just a certain, but for those who simply desire the gift and ask for its possibility. May it be so, God, in the ways in which we live this day and the next that we can offer this swallowing grace to anybody and everybody and all people. In the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ, we pray. Amen.